This is episode number two, all about perspective, hindsight, and how you can learn from my mistakes to improve your running. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, head coach of strengthrunning.com, and every week I'll be your personal coach, helping you discover how to reach your potential and become the runner that you know you want to be. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Now, it's time to get after it. Hey, what's going on, guys? We are rolling through the podcast, and welcome to our second episode. I had a blast talking with Nick Simmons on the last show. He's, he's not just an awesome runner uh, that I think we can all you know, learn from and admire for everything he's done, but he's just a funny dude. That was a fun one for me. Hope it was for you, too. Uh, now, today, you're in for a solo act. Often, I'm just going to riff on a certain topic, an idea, or you know, hopefully share some lessons that uh, I might have learned along the way. My goal is that if you find these shorter episodes helpful, you'll allow me to hang out in your headphones during a recovery run or be the soundtrack to your strength routine. All right, guys, let's dive in. We're talking about perspective today, and some of the most important lessons I've personally learned after competing over the last 18 years or so in cross-country, track and field, road and trail racing. And hindsight is 2020, so I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this podcast episode. Now, the idea actually comes from a blog post that I wrote over five years ago, and I think it's time for some updating, and I'm going to build on some of those ideas. So as I look back on my career, I want to change so much of my decisions, the training that I've done, and the things that I didn't do. And I made a lot of mistakes, sometimes small, sometimes large decisions that often resulted in an injury a poor race, or even missing half a year of running. Many of my injuries are because of impatience or because I just felt invincible. So I'd refuse to cut a training run by a few miles or I would just skip my strength exercises. And this carelessness showed with my constant battle with injuries. I've had Achilles tendonitis, lower back pain, IT band syndrome, shin splints, quadriceps strains. I had it all. And I want you to learn from my mistakes so you can be the best runner possible. Do as I say, not as I do seems appropriate for this podcast. Without further ado, let's dive into seven things I wish I knew when I first started running. Number one, patience. I think we can all agree that success takes some time. There's another great coach that I look up to and admire called uh, Greg McMillan. And he tells his new athletes that join his elite team that it will take at least two years of consistent, structured training to even glimpse their potential. And that's after running at the high school and college level. So we're talking about a decade of consistent training. Now, in college, we were not allowed to run cross-country unless we also ran indoor and outdoor track. Our coaches knew that if you wanted to be successful, running had to be a year-round sport. And in fact, it's better to think of running as a lifestyle than simply something you do for a few months out of the year. And this patience, now that you have this long-term perspective and you're treating running as a lifestyle that you do year-round, now this patience has to be with everything. It has to be with your training, your mileage, your workouts. So for example... Increasing your mileage should happen gradually, but consistently. Your workouts should get longer and more challenging very gradually over time. What you're doing in year six as a runner 
should probably look a lot different than what you did in year one. You also have to have patience with scheduling challenging races. Let's look at the marathon, for example. If I had a nickel for every time a runner came to me and asked if I could write them a six-week training plan for the marathon when their current long run is only eight miles, I would be a very rich man. But the truth of the matter is that the marathon is challenging. The marathon is a very difficult event. There's no way around that. And you have to be patient with your decision to tackle a marathon. You really need to make sure that you're physically ready to even do the training. If you're not running a double-digit long run, you're not even ready to start training for a marathon. Give yourself some time. Set yourself up to succeed and give yourself every advantage by starting only when you're ready. And I have a, a, a maxim or a principle that I like to use, and it's when in doubt, sit it out. If you think you're not ready to do a workout, if you think you're not ready to increase your long run to a certain amount, if you're wondering whether or not you should run a certain pace, then it's probably best to not go do those things. It's probably best to be a little bit more conservative. Having a long-term outlook helps you avoid the three twos that often lead to injury, doing too much, too soon, too fast. I would much rather runners be 5% undertrained than 5% overtrained. So if you're patient with how you tackle your training, your mileage and, and workout intensity increases, if you're patient with when and how you tackle long or otherwise very challenging types of races, and if you just take running as a life a lifestyle, a long-term sport, and know that success is going to take time, then you're much more likely to not only stay healthy, but ultimately succeed and accomplish your goals. Number two, don't just run. Now, this is a mistake I made almost all the time until about 2009. You really need to make sure that you're an athlete, not just a runner, but an athlete. I see so many different problems with runners who only go running. They don't do any strength work. They don't do any drills. They don't do any types of dynamic stretching or lifting. And these runners are two-dimensional athletes. They don't know how to move well. They have poor mobility. They have low levels of strength. And of course, they're not as fast as their peers who treat running as a more multidisciplinary sport. Okay, and that's one of the helpful ways to look at running. Now, what happens when you don't do any of those extras, all those, any of those drills or strength exercises or, or warm-up drills? Well, you're much more likely to become injured. You're going to have lower flexibility. You're going to have lower strength, lower coordination, and just lower levels of general athleticism. So I want to encourage you to tackle being an athlete. Don't just be a runner. Be an athlete. Now, one of the easiest ways to do that is to sandwich your runs. Now, this is a concept I use a lot with my athletes, and sandwiching your runs in between a dynamic warm-up and a you know 10 to 20-minute core or strength routine is a really great way to get in some of that extra work that is going to help you be a better athlete. Now, you can also do some other things. Before a challenging workout, you can add some drills. 
you should be running strides. Um, so I definitely, uh, you can search strength running for all these things. They're all included on the blog and there's usually video demonstrations for a lot of these different exercises, but by thinking a little bit more critically about developing as a runner where we can all become better runners, more injury resistant, and ultimately a lot faster. Okay. Number three, embrace the process and focus on training. All right, so what is the process of training? The process of training is A, knowing what to do, and B, executing it really well. So get a good training plan and then focus on following that training plan to the best of your ability. Now, <clears throat> when I look at other runners' training, uh, I, I see a lot of different mistakes. Um, Mistake number one is people who rush their training. And much like the marathon example we talked about before, there are a lot of runners who try to cram their training into only a couple weeks or even a couple months and then expect to have a great race. But if you're not prepared to even start training at the level that you should be, or if you don't give yourself the time to gain the fitness you need to perform at the level that you'd like to, and you only think about the races then you're not focusing on training and your your racing is going to suffer. And so race times and personal bests, <clears throat> these are a result and a natural extension of training. If you don't get the training right, you're not going to get the racing right. And earlier in my running career, I didn't want to do the training. I didn't want to do all that hard work. It wasn't sexy. I wanted to run those race times. I wanted to break five minutes in the mile or get on the varsity cross country team. And no matter what your goal is, <clears throat> if you focus on that training, then you are going to get that racing right, and you're going to become a more well-rounded runner. Number four, get off the roads and onto the trails. This is a great one because trails have so many different benefits and virtually no drawbacks. Now, <clears throat> why run trails? So trails have so many benefits. They help you prevent injuries. Uh, and not because trails generally have are, are a softer surface than, say, uh, the road, but more because trails are a varied surface. Trails force you to run a little bit differently. They force you to have different biomechanics than you would on the roads. And what you're essentially doing is limiting the repetition of running. And if you can limit the repetition of running, you're going to limit your risk of a repetitive stress injury, also known as a running injury. And so injury prevention is a big reason why I like to see my runners do some of their weekly runs on the trails. Now, injury prevention is but one benefit. Some other benefits are it's more fun. Anyone who's been on a trail knows that running trails is a blast. Not only is the scenery better, but you don't have to deal with stop signs, stop lights, cars, and other types of traffic that are going to um, just be a nuisance to your run. And now, of course, trails have some drawbacks. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult to do a structured, faster workout on the trails. Um, that's not to say you can't. You might have to you know, restructure it a little bit uh, or adjust your expectations knowing that you are going to be navigating some obstacles with roots and rocks and maybe jumping over a, a small stream or something like that. However, the benefits far outweigh those drawbacks, and you can run 
trails for your easy or base runs and put yourself in a position where you're getting all the benefits without experiencing any of those drawbacks. So if you can, definitely run a little bit more trails on a weekly basis. Number five, run by feel. And feel is essentially perceived effort. I know everyone has a GPS watch these days, and I'm going to sound like a cranky old man here, but you can't be a slave to that GPS watch. And, you know, over the years, I've developed a love-hate relationship with GPS watches. I bought a very nice Garmin in a couple years ago, and I used it almost exclusively for years. But recently, I've downgraded to, you know, a $35 Timex. No GPS functionality whatsoever. It simply times how long my run is. And that's that. Um, So why run by feel? It's important to run by feel. You have to know how certain paces feel. And sometimes pace isn't even that important. Pace is just a byproduct of your fitness. And sometimes, say during an easy run or recovery run, pace isn't really the most important thing. It's not really the end goal. During those runs, the goal is really general endurance. It's um, active recovery. You want some extra time on your feet, but you also want that time to help with recovery from, say, a long run or a more challenging workout. And you don't. Re- it doesn't really matter if you're running, say, 8.30 pace or 8.45 pace or even 9-minute pace. You know, as long as that is somewhere within your normal easy pace range, then that's fine. And on a true recovery day, let's say you're the shortest run of your week, you actually want to be running really slow. You want to really prioritize recovery on those super easy days. And a GPS watch makes it very easy for you to monitor your splits a little bit too closely and to focus on them when they shouldn't be the focus. Now, there are times when you do need exact splits. If you're doing a structured workout and you want to know how fast you're running, or if you're doing a workout where you need to be running at, say, 5K pace or marathon pace, then those are good opportunities to use either a GPS watch or to get on the track. And I always like to say that the track never lies. If you get on the track, it will always be accurate, provided that it's a standard 400-meter outdoor track, and most of those facilities are uh, standard distance. So you usually have nothing to worry about there. And I prefer that my runners use the track rather than a GPS watch because, you know, especially for shorter intervals or repetitions, uh, it's not always very accurate. And so those are examples when knowing your exact pace or knowing your exact splits can be very helpful. But if you're just going out for an easy three, four, five miles, you can afford to simply run by feel and estimate your paces. Now, you can also use a GPS watch responsibly. I'm not saying throw it out. I'm not saying get a uh, cheap watch that just has a stopwatch function. You can use your GPS watch in a way that um, is responsible and doesn't have you constantly looking at your splits. One of my favorite ways is to uh, start your run and then put your uh, GPS watch on time of day so that you can't see how fast you're going. And then that way, you're essentially getting the best of both worlds. You're running by feel, but at the end of the run, you can stop it and you can review your splits and paces and you can see uh, how running by feel actually looks from a more uh, numbers-based perspective. 
And if you learn to run by feel, you're going to be much better at dialing in certain paces. And you're going to be much more likely to take those easy days truly easy. So it's definitely something that uh, is a skill. It's going to take some time to learn. And weaning yourself off of a GPS watch, if that's the route that you choose, is uh, might, might take a little while. But I do think it's worth it. Number six, do the little things that enable healthy, fast running. Now, the little things are things that enable you to continue training at a high level. So if you're trying to run a marathon or if you're trying to hit a certain time in a race, then the little things might often be the difference between success and failure. So let's go over some some little things that you can implement that you won't see on a training plan or you won't see on most training plans, but nevertheless are very important to your development as a runner. So <clears throat> number one, eating well and fueling appropriately. Now, eating well is one of the best ways to control weight. Uh, exercise is important, but diet is much more important. And eating well is not only going to help you be at your target weight, but also fueling appropriately is going to help you have the energy necessary to uh, run your workouts at the paces that you need to be running them at. And uh, you're going to recover a lot faster. And, you know, eating well and, and proper fueling while you're training is also really helpful for just keeping you in a good mood. If you are training at a high level, but you're diet is subpar and you're doing a lot of your runs on either poor fuel or you're not eating enough, then you're just going to be cranky all day. It's a really good way to uh, annoy your significant other or otherwise be less effective throughout the day. All right. Another little thing that really helps your running is sleeping. Sleeping is critical. Now, sleep hygiene and the length of how much sleep you get every night are both really important. Uh, you know, runners who are training a lot, you know, everyone says seven to nine hours is, you know, kind of the average. Most runners, if they're, if they're training at a high level need more than seven hours. So I would amend that to eight to nine hours. If you are putting in some higher mileage, if you're doing some harder workouts throughout the week, uh, you really need to make sure that your body is recovering from the running that you're doing. But not only that, but also absorbing the training adaptations that are taking place. So you need to recover from and then adapt to the workouts that you're doing. And this also includes naps. You know, when I was training for you know, my, my, some of my faster marathons, I would always try to schedule in a nap, uh, after my long run, because the long run is not only the most important run of the week for the marathon, but it was also the most challenging for me. And I was just very fatigued. And I knew that if I could get in somewhere around an hour nap, that it would jumpstart that recovery process. I would feel better the rest of the day. And probably more importantly, I would feel better the next day. And I was able to go do my recovery run the following day at a, at a good level. So naps and making sure that you are getting enough sleep are critical. Now, sleep hygiene is also really important. Sleep hygiene is how well you are sleeping. So uh, you can do so many things to improve your sleep hygiene. Everything from using a sound machine, getting blackout curtains, removing a lot of the small LED or other tiny lights in your room that make... Uh, your room not so dark. These are all ways to improve 
the quality of your sleep so that you will be more rested when you wake up in the morning. Now, of course, we talked a little bit about sandwiching your runs. This is doing a dynamic warm-up before you run and a strength uh, or core workout after you run. And so why do we do these things? Well, when we warm up before a run, we're getting the body ready to run. We're increasing our heart rate and our uh, core body temperature. We're opening up capillary beds in our extremities. We're lubricating our joints. And we're essentially priming the body to perform at a higher level. You know, if we're going from sedentary to running, you know, the warm-up is the bridge between being sedentary and you out there running. Now, a core or strength workout after you run has many benefits. First, it's a nice cool down. It's, again, that bridge between running and being sedentary. And also, it helps you build strength. And if you're using a runner-specific core or strength workout, which I recommend, you're working the specific muscles and the specific needs of runners. And a lot of that is hip and glute focused. So the hips and glutes uh, are not only kind of the main muscles that propel your stride and help you have a very powerful, efficient stride, but they also have been implicated in a host of injuries. And so even things like Achilles tendinopathy are often caused by, say, a uh, hip weakness. So that hip weakness can cause a hip drop, and then you start compensating for that, and that compensation might be in your lower leg, which results in an Achilles injury. So gaining strength, being warmed up properly for your runs are going to help you uh, appropriately run without that risk of injury. Next, there's recovery days. If there's one mistake that I see most runners making is that they're doing their easy days too fast. These days should be very easy. Now, you can use a pace calculator to get your easy range, and you should be on the slower end of that easy range. But remember the three C's of easy running. Comfortable, controlled, conversational. And I would argue that on a true recovery day, maybe that's your shortest run of the week, you should you should be even a little bit more conversational and comfortable than that. It should feel like you are running very slowly. It should feel very, very easy. And if you're doing those things, then you are definitely running easy and you're getting all of the benefits of a recovery run without sacrificing that recovery. Number seven, train, don't exercise. Now, this is for runners who are racing. If you are running for general health, if you are running just because you enjoy going out for uh, a couple runs every week, then that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, and you should continue doing what you're doing. But if you have a time goal, or if you're trying to run a distance that you have never have before, say a 10K or even a marathon or beyond, now you're not exercising. You're training. And exercising is for general health well-being, and even for fun. It makes you feel good. A few examples include, you know, fitness classes at the gym, recreational leagues like softball or kickball, and running casually a few times a week. But training is very different. It has a very specific purpose, like a goal time in a race. And therefore, it must be structured. And it's this structure that allows you to gain strength, speed, and endurance. Now, what I do as a coach is add the right structure to a person's running so they're training instead of exercising. A training plan for me introduces 
a specific series of workouts in a specific pattern that will then progress over time. And often, these changes have a profound impact on what a runner is capable of achieving on race day, whether they're racing a 5K or a marathon. And sometimes, the mileage and workouts are similar, but when you get the pattern right, their performance on race day is significantly better. Hey everyone, a quick note before you go. Bite-sized running lessons like those in today's show have always been helpful to me, so I hope that you find value in them as well. Take a look at your training, see which lessons you think you could manageably implement this week, and get after it. Now, as you know, this is only the second episode of the Strength Running Podcast, and I have so many more fun episodes planned. Episode three, actually, is going to feature another Olympian who has been all over the news recently, so stay tuned for that. Also, are you enjoying this podcast? Would you like to see a particular guest? What would you like me to talk about next? What can I improve? And what do you love? Please, please give me your feedback. I would absolutely love a rating and a review in iTunes. It means a lot to me, and it really helps the show during this brief but very critical launch window. So a big thank you to all my listeners, and a special shout out to anybody who's gracious enough to leave a rating or subscribe to the show. Until next time, 